Okay, guys, so my guest this week is Sandy Bennett Haper. Happer, Haber. She's all about writing, <clears throat> motherhood, travel, and she's a flamingo mad. Wow. She does get really passionate about travel. I was like, I just let her talk about travel for like 10 minutes solid and the passion in her eyes. I was like, whoa, girl, you make me want to travel, but not just travel on my own because I'm up for that. But I also want to travel with my two amazing kids and let them see the world and experience. And with everything that's going on with the viral, I was thinking, well, can we travel somewhere that's not impacted and just go to like a desert island with the kids and just really be grounded and and do like some cooking there um so that's something i was thinking about but sandy is really good for you know encouraging you to travel with kids and also she's an author you know way making um she says before i was a traveler before i was a mother i was a writer sandy bennett you're wonderful you can get her at sandy bennett haper h-a-p-e-r.com she's wonderful so jump in guys jump all in Okay, Sandy, thank you so much for coming today. It's my pleasure. It's lovely to have you here. I love the fact you ran because the creativity is going to be flying. <laughs> it, yeah, I find it definitely turns my brain, puts my brain in a better spot to be a bit more on. It, it really does. And I think running can be a metaphor for so many things in life. And you put a lovely post out about swans <laughs> tell us about the spots you I had was, I was running on the canal um, the Union Canal and these two baby swans just sort of careened over my head almost crashing into each other as they flew along and they looked so clumsy and so unaerodynamic. and I ducked when these swans came over my head and I thought about it I never used to run. I, never, I always used to be one of those people that said to myself, I'm not built for running. I've got big boobs. That's not, I can't do it. Feeling you. And I had a real no about that. And over time I started, started running slowly and got more into it. And I was like, when I saw those swans, I thought you should never say to yourself, you can't do something. Nobody's ever told those swans they can't fly. I think they can barely fly, but they don't know they can, can't fly. Yeah. They're just flying. That was a really good, like, reminder to myself about those, when you put those no's in front of you, how much of a roadblock that is. And mm -hmm. I was running and I'm, I love it and I get so much out of it. Yeah. And I've gotten more into it this year than I have for a while since the boys were born and we had a running coach through my gym this year who's really pushed us and really encouraged mm -hmm. us and we've got a lovely little running group out of that and we go Wednesday night so we were out last night in the rain and Amazing. we go we started not doing much distance and now we can we can just head out and do 12 kilometers and that's it's great. huge not many gyms do running clubs well I think it was it was his it's his passion project okay. I think more than um it was yeah it was one of the things that he was he's, he was the general manager at my gym he's retired now but oh, wow. he's, he's come back to run with us though which is Amazing. really nice we love having him back in our little running group because he pushes us to you need it because on your own sometimes it can be really hard to get up the hills or you know <laughs> I've been going running with my hubs a lot and I put a piece out about it last week about what it's taught me you know uh, pushing each other in different ways physically mentally emotionally and all that stuff and uh, you have knocks but it's just getting back up yeah. Getting back up, keep getting out there, and uh, being outside running is just so much more satisfying. Well, isn't exactly. It? I and because we had the running club, 
we go outside. We started in January and we were doing small distances, but it was cold and sleety. So now it doesn't matter. Like the weather today is a bit drink. And I was doing the drop-off at school and I was like, oh, I have to put my contacts in because it's not great to run in the rain. But that's as much as I thought. I was like, I wasn't like, oh, it's raining. I'll get the bus. I was like, no, you just go. I love it. You just go, you do it. And and then you have a warm shower and you're happy. Like you feel amazing and you've achieved do you have cold showers too i'm a cold shower person yeah well, i've got really into them since i've been doing the wild swimming and you've got an article in one of your um the books that you contributed about wild swimming you were saying it's but it is wild swimming in turkey so it's not cold water wild swimming. Ah, okay. <laughs> so it's a bit different i mean i'm australian so we don't call it wild swimming we call it swimming yeah yeah that's true <laughs> um so it was uh when i i was traveling in various places and I was in Turkey and we were doing if you've been in Turkey and you've been a bit of a tourist you probably will be familiar with this idea of a blue cruise that you go on for on this yacht for a few days around the coast and one of the days we stopped at uh, an island called St Nicholas Island and you know it's one of the stories about it is it's got something to do with Santa Claus or (laughs) something and everyone else went for an explore on the island and I was like I think I'll just swim around the island. Love that. And I did the thing that you should never do, which is I just went swimming. I didn't tell anybody that I was going. And so I was swimming along, being a mermaid, loving it. Because I'd been in the Middle East for a while and I was like, I was so excited to get to Turkey and to get to the water. I was like, this is me. We need it. I'm back at home, like in Australia. I'm very very water baby. I'm very coastal. So me getting to Turkey was like, Oh, this is I know how this works. So I'm swimming around this island, enjoying myself, and then slowly, slowly you're getting to the other side of the island and it was getting a bit more wild and I was getting a bit more tired. <laughs> and I saw I saw what I sort of I was like, Oh I'll get back around the other side soon. I had no idea how big this island. I had oh, no idea. I was like, I'll get back around the other side soon, I'll get back around the other side soon. And starting to get you know, get tired. And I saw this shortcut where I could cut more into open water but get to the next bit of the island. And I went for it and I just struggled. I was like, I realised, it was like, I, I actually panicked. I was like, this is not, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm oh not days. in my safe place anymore. Like, I'm, I'm not, this is not okay. And I had to you know, life metaphor thing, I had to pull my shit together uh-huh. and get, stop, get out of that panic. I was like, okay, I'm giving up that shortcut. I swam back into the island and I managed to get a wave to kind of, because it was quite craggy where mm. I was kind of getting back to and I managed to get a wave, managed to lift me up onto the, wow. back onto the island. And I scrambled up the bit of rocky bit and I, at that point when I realized, I was like, I was nearly there. That was the point. Oh. <laughs> I would have been at the nose where I could have gone back into the safe oh. bit of the island. I didn't. So I, I climbed back over. I climbed over that bit of rock to the other side and then swam back wow. along where all the boats were moored and it was safe again. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, so that's How what, long did it take you? I don't know. I mean, this, you know, and this is not in the days of tracking anything or anything. But nobody noticed that I'd gone. 
Right, so great. Because I've got these visions of it. No, it wasn't when the boat's left or they think we're not. Well, we were moored for the night. Like, I knew the boat wasn't going anywhere. We were sleeping there for the night. But Wow. How lovely. But I made it back. Would you do it again? Swim around Ireland? I probably would, but I probably would, like, take some. (laughs) It's that, but it's that thing of. Things that you do before you've had children as well. Like my mama bear brain is much more like protective of myself and protective of my children. This was before I'd had children. Like I was 30. I wasn't like I didn't do my adventuring until I was 30 kind of thing. So it took me a while to get out of my sort of safe zone. But I, yeah, so this... I say that I probably would do it, but then there's things that I am more wary of yeah. now. Like I learned to ski after I met my husband, after I came to Scotland, because he was insistent. This sounds really bad. He said, when we started dating, he was like, I'm really strict with my girlfriends. They have to be able to ski. And what he meant from that was, I don't want a girlfriend that's sitting in the cafe. I want a girl. I want a partner who's doing things with me. Shares your passion. Yeah. And so one of the things was one of his passions is skiing. So I had to learn to ski. And I went, I went to Canada, partly to organise my 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 visa to come back to the UK. And I learned to. So I started learning to ski in Whistler, and I would. And then I came back and had to ski in Scotland, which is just like oh, lumpy oh. mud. But I would again. I would just throw myself down hills and things. And now I'm. I haven't downhill. I haven't been downhill skiing since I had the boys. So. It's funny, isn't it? It it's, does. Uh, becoming a mom really does change the way you see things. And I think back to things I did, and I was like, I can't believe that was so wild. And. Uh, you just got to learn from that, yeah. haven't you? You know, so, no regrets. But then maybe, like, maybe once they're a bit more, once maybe once they're less completely dependent yeah. on me, uh-huh. maybe some of that will come back yeah. into how I think about the world. Oh, I don't know. That's right. so. What actually brought you to Scotland? Because you you get into if you're into swimming, and I love swimming, and a lot of our friends have moved to Australia, so I often <laughs> fantasise about being able to go into the sea there I mean sharks okay you do hear in the press that the sharks (laughs) do come in and I've been in Australia and I I've still swam despite the sharks but what brought you well I it took me a while to get excited about traveling in my life I used to I was once upon a time my mum bought me a mystery flight and I said no thank you I don't I don't really want to get on a plane and go somewhere that I've never been before and spend the day there and then fly. I was like, no. How old were you? I was probably like maybe 25 Mm -hmm. and I was just like, no. And then over time I started doing a little bit of travel within Australia and then a little bit more. And it was always like organized sort of group tours, which Mm -hmm. I really loved. And I got so much out of that and having to be by myself, but just put yourself out there. And so I started, that gave me the bug for traveling. And I'd started organising a longer trip and I'd arranged with my work that instead of having a pay rise, I would get like more annual leave, like I would accrue more annual leave. Mm-hmm. And I booked a trip to go, the first part of the trip that I booked was to go to Tanzania and then I was going to go to Egypt where my cousin was living. And that was all I had booked. I was I had the rest of it in my head. Uh-huh. It, <laughs> it was going to be a trip to go to different places where there were flamingos. I was wow. going to go and see flamingos. That was like the agenda for my trip. 
before the trains came back because it's all about flamingos. Yeah, I know. This was this. So this, the trip was it was 2011. Wow. And then a couple of months before, and for whatever reason, I didn't have a return ticket. It was just it made more sense to book it that way. And a couple of months before I was set to go, the company that I worked for went bankrupt. Wow. So within 15 minutes of my boss telling us. I was like, well, I was renting, I was single, and I had a ticket, an outward ticket, and I'd been saving for this trip. And I was like, well, I'll just go then. Great. I packed up, I let my housemates know, I packed up my flat, my room in the, in the house, and I stayed with, went and moved in with my mum for like a month and a half. She loved it because we got to hang out, we got to spend time together. I put all my stuff into storage in various places. I got rid of a lot, a lot of stuff. So, and that was the year I, I turned 30 that year. Wow. And I just, so I just went. So I went to Tanzania and then I went to Egypt and it was the year there was, there was revolution stuff happening in, happening in Egypt and my cousin had been evacuated, but they'd gone back. She, her husband works for the World Bank, so they'd been living in different places overseas for a while and they were back. So I stayed with them, which was amazing. And then I said to my cousin's husband, who he travels all around, I was like, well, do you think do you think that I can go to Israel? And he was like, Yeah, yeah, Israel would be fine. Wow. So I flew first of all I went to Mount I went to Sinai, so in the peninsula. I didn't really have enough money to go diving, but I could snorkel and hang around there and I went climbed Mount Sinai, do that sort of overnight so that you're there for sunrise, which is amazing. Oh wow. And then I got they had they had met people in Jordan when they travelled in Jordan who do tourism and they'd said to these we my cousin emailed this woman and said oh could sandy come and like do some volunteering or could she come and and they were like oh just come she can come and stay with us that's fine mm-hmm. so i went and it was in in wadi rum which is a uh, well known for it's like desert climbing so i went and stayed with this family got to know them a little bit and it pretty much after that after i got to jordan it was like i literally just made it up as I went along, so I stayed with, stayed in Wadi Ram, did some more climbing with there, and then one day I just got a bus to Petra, and then from Petra I got another, we got like an organised local taxi to take us to the capital city, I stayed there for a few days, and then I got a bus into Israel, and again, just, I literally rocked up in Israel with like a list of hostels scribbled down, and decided sort of when I arrived I went into Jerusalem and I bumbled around you know saw amazing went to the Dead Sea went did all sorts of amazing things and did it feel quite spiritual like? it was it was amazing it was so it was so social as well like there was I made so many like within before I'd even checked in and put my bag down I'd like met new people I'd invited out to the movies I it was a real buzz around the hostel but it was incredible as well to be to see the way that people lived and the way that people worshipped and you know it was conflicting as well because then we would go to other parts where we would see the the conflict between people and we because we were because I was a white tourist I was welcomed everywhere so people wanted to tell you about their lives they wanted to share with you so I hooked up with another young woman and the two of us kind of you know, that's what you do when you're backpacking. You meet somebody and then you go on amazing adventures with them and then you stay friends with them on Facebook, but you never really see them again. But yeah. you have had these amazing experiences with them. So you sort of stay connected. And then I decided I wasn't, because of the way the cult, the 
climate was then and sort of still is now, for me, it was best to fly out of Israel into Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I, I did that and I was kind of exhausted when I got to Turkey. So I st- stayed in Istanbul for a few days and then I got like a local travel agent to kind of book me mm-hmm. a bit of a trip because I wanted, I was still on my flamingo trail. So I'd seen flamingos in Africa, but I hadn't seen them anywhere else. And I researched that there were fl- flamingos in Cappadocia. I don't know if you, like Cappadocia is like known for like the fairy chimneys and you go hot air ballooning and it's over amazing countryside. Like it's beautiful, but nobody knows that there's flamingos there, but I knew that flamingos there. You did your research. I did my research. So we went, and Turkey's so huge. So it involved like overnight bus rides, which were disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I traveled around, but I was quite tired. So I didn't, I didn't do the, I'll just decide on the day bit in Turkey. I was like, I was a bit organized so it wasn't like it wasn't a tour I was just by myself but I I did bump into some of the same people as I was moving around because it's a bit of a trial and then I went did my flamingo thing and then I went on the blue cruise and swimming and gradually got to um a little town I think called Ivalik that somebody had recommended and that was more like Turkish people go there for a holiday so it was more local it wasn't quite so touristy and from Ivalik you can get a ferry into Greece into Lesbos Mm -hmm. and Lesbos is probably known at the moment for being somewhere that refugees are arriving but the other thing about Lesbos is it also has flamingos so (laughs) I went went flamingo hunting in Lesbos and then went to Athens on another overnight boat and then I went to I think I went back to Venice because I loved Venice Venice. I'd been to Venice once when I was studying and I'm a water person Venice I feel like in Athens I got completely lost it's not my place Venice and I there was a farm stay that I arranged kind of ahead of time in Umbria so I went I went there and by then I was really, really tired. I was really sick of being hot and I, there wasn't much internet because it was like a farm stay in the middle of nowhere. I had to get the bus into town and walk and try and use the internet in this library that had a computer keyboard that I couldn't even understand. (laughs) And I basically had like, you know, half an hour online. I was like, where should I go next? And I'm sick of being hot. I'm going to book a walking holiday in Scotland. (laughs) And I flew out. I went into London. I had some high school mates living in London. So that was lovely. I was like, oh, I don't have to work so hard. People here speak the same language as me. And I had another friend that I went to see her, that another woman, British doctor that I'd met in Australia. So I went to see her. And then eventually I caught the train up to Scotland. Mm -hmm. And I had one night in Edinburgh before the trip was leaving and did wandered around the city a little bit and then went and met the group that we were going. It was a two-week walking holiday. And I arrived and I looked I looked around the group because, you know, I was 30. I was interested in having a family. I was always kind of had my eye open for mm-hmm. <laughs> opportunities and I looked around the group of people in this in this trip and I was just like there was two things I thought one was there's no po- there's no options here for me there's no possibilities here for me mm-hmm. and the second one was yeah, that tour guide there he can't shave 
<laughs> and two weeks later, I had fallen in love with my tour guide. Oh my goodness! And that's my husband. Wow. So, so do you? Because that was a bit of a an adventure. You've been to all these amazing places. You put yourself out there. You made that decision with your gut, like I'm hot. I want to go somewhere cooler. You came to Scotland, and there he is. Do you believe that it was meant to be, or what's your sliding have... door? Do you know, um, in in Midsummer Night's Dream, one of the pe- one of the people that controls things is Puck. Mm-hmm. He's like the cheeky fairy. Mm-hmm. He does what he wants, and he's he's properly cheeky. And I think that that thing of me going, I'm sick of being hot. Puck was like, right, yeah. you you're staying in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and how long have you been married for? We got married in 2013. Okay. So we we had to very quickly be real mm-hmm. with each other mm-hmm. because of the way that the UK travel. I was just on a holiday visa when I arrived and I was 30. And I was going to turn 31 in February of 2012. And we met in September. And once you're, before you're 31, you can apply for a holiday, a working travel visa quite easily. It's pretty common. Australians come work in the UK all the time. After I was 31, it would have been much harder. So quite quickly, and he had to go to Mexico and I had other commitments, but, and quite quickly I had to, I was, I went and stayed with a girlfriend in London and she went off to work and we, you know, it was romance. We were excited, but I was like, I'm not going to look up the visas. I'm not going to look up the visas. And she got home from work and we were both like, she was like, I looked up the visas and I was like, so did I. And we realized that I had to apply. I had to do something. I had to. And the thing was that if, if me saying that had scared him off, then he wouldn't have been the person for me yeah. anyway. So we had to. You have to have that chat. Yeah. And for... To get the working holiday visa, you couldn't apply from it for it from within the UK. Mm-hmm. You could apply for it from somewhere that you can legally live for six, more than six months. Mm-hmm. So for me, that either meant I had to go back to Australia or I had to go to Canada because before I'd left Australia initially, I'd applied for a working holiday visa for Canada just to have it in my pocket because I was like, mm-hmm. you know what, there's possibilities. And at the time, I was, I didn't really want it I wasn't didn't have like the UK wasn't in my science particularly but I thought oh Canada's big and so I, I had it and the way the one for Canada worked is once you arrive it begins ticking over so mm. that's what we decided I was like I'll go and was just probably getting I think in the end I left at the start of December for that Okay. And my birthday was in February, so I was like, "This is my window. I've got to." Yes, you've got to. <laughs> I've you've got, got to, to add that. And it was it was pretty intense, but and again, I so I spent I probably in the end didn't quite spend a month in Canada while I waited. I had to wait for paperwork to come from Australia. You have to prove that you've got money in the bank to support yourself and things. And I was so bimbled around and learned to ski. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hung a out good, good in, place to learn to speak. Um, hung out in Canada while I waited for this paperwork to come through. And I was like, I don't know where I'm going to be for Christmas. What if this doesn't come through? 
and it was good, you know, that we had things like Skype and that, that I could continue to get to know this yeah. man. And every time I would, you know, spend a few days away and start thinking, oh, you know, you're overthinking, yeah. you don't know. And then you would have a chat and you'd be like, oh, no, this is this is a connection. Yeah. It would come back and it would be like, no, that's where I'm. Just, you just felt it. You just knew. Yeah. You just and there knew. were always moments of doubt and moments of this and that, but... When I got back and he was living in a share house and I made sure I had that conversation. I was like, do you think that we should live together or do you think that it should? Because I didn't want it to just be for convenience because, again, I think that's wrecked relationships in the past where you just do it because it's cheaper or whatever. And he was like, no, let's live together. So in 12 months after... We had met, like, literally 12 months. We had a conversation which ended up with us deciding that we would try for a baby. Wow. So, that, for me, that was the moment of the commitment. Like, the getting married mm-hmm. was lovely. Mm-hmm. It was really special. We both were like, yep, this is this is great. But that moment where we said, let's start a family. So, I was already pregnant when we got married. Wow. Oh, and they've got two? Two boys, yes. <laughs> and so, what led you to write the book then? The Travel with Babies book came about because we had tra- we travelled with Rafa. We, we were always – I'd left Australia with a backpack. Mm-hmm. I didn't go back to Australia until I had my husband and my first child. So mm-hmm. that was us. We planned – we went with him December. He was born in August and we went with him in December mm-hmm. and we booked – we didn't have a honeymoon or anything, but we booked this round-the-world trip with him, with, with – so my husband and, the, and Rafa and we, my, my cousin who had lived in Egypt by that time was living in Vietnam. So we were like, let's go and see her. And then we went to Australia and then we spent the majority of the trip we spent in Australia. And then we went to New Zealand and then we went to the States. My husband has family in the States and we had other friends in Canada. So we did a road trip and everything. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we got back and I was still on maternity leave and my mom came over and we went up to Mull and just she and I and, and Rafa because John was working again by then and I started while she was still with us after that trip to Mal I started to write mm-hmm. a little bit about that trip and the first time I ever wrote that story about traveling with my mom and Rafa in Mal I wrote Rafa out of it I was like because there was must have been some newspaper competition or something that I was thinking oh, I'll pitch this travel story okay and I was like well nobody would want they would want a trip you know, a story about a young, independent, free person mm. traveling. And after I'd finished writing it, I thought, I wonder if there are places that would be interested in stories about traveling with your baby. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of my idea. And I had a girlfriend at the time who, you know, we met each other's children for the first time over Skype, one of my best friends from you know, from high school, and she had tra- taken her young son, who's about the same age as Rafa, to Thailand by with some friends by herself. Her husband's in the military, so he couldn't. Mm. Well, she had to just do things. And do she it. did, you know, trying to still be herself and go with her really good friends, but have her baby with her. And she had been talking to me about what she'd been doing. So I had, I was like, well, that's me. That's two stories I know. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if I could find a book worth of stories that. And so that was the beginning of 
sort of talking to people and putting feelers out for for more stories about about traveling with babies wow what's your favorite part of the book i mean there's there's an amazing woman who lives in alaska who's Mm -hmm. written for me and she her name i'm having a blank now her name is. I have to go back to you. When you try and use your mind, sometimes it doesn't come. So she, her, she is amazing. She is like, she wrote about going on like they would go trekking mm-hmm. with the baby mm-hmm. and pregnant and stuff, and like they would they go on amazing adventures. They're all about like they map the changes, like climate change changes. They map them by walking places and seeing. Mm-hmm they're incredible and so she had written about doing that and I was like I was living in a second floor flat with two little babies for me if I had to hang washing outside I had to pack snacks like that was a huge yeah. some days like that I, I say in the introduction you know some days with a baby the world is really really small mm-hmm. and it's amazing to be reminded that the world can still be big yeah. when you've got a baby and I think that's so important because it can get so small it can. when you've got a little baby or a, little, a toddler oh. a toddler and a baby is just nobody can tell you what that's going to be like nobody can um we didn't listen anyway people who tried to tell us but to be reminded that the world is big and this this writer did that for me and I was like I'm so proud to be able to share that with other people and if other people can can feel that the world can still is still open to you you can still experience things you're not trapped because a lot of new mums will say to me i didn't know it's going to be this hard or it's like groundhog day or i've lost myself and i'm saying well you're still you you're still the person you are before you had these beautiful kids that are you know life-changing in so many positive and negative ways so i think that's really powerful powerful actually and encouraging for people yeah you can get out and i mean i still there were when we were when i was finishing up the book we went on a trip just down to like a mountain hut kind of thing with some of john's friends and i had the two little kids and everyone else was partying and i was just having a nightmare trying to put these kids to sleep and like we all cried by the end of that sort you, of, you're uh, missing out on the fun as well when you're time routine yeah. can last like hours can't it and especially when you take them which we would do we would take them out we would throw off the routine and try and do something and it just would all blow up in your face and you're fighting with your spouse and you're fighting with everybody and i remember thinking i'm writing a book about traveling with babies and i'm never leaving the house ever again like this is awful <laughs> what if what if people think that it's a good idea because i've told them that and then they call you and you're like i've had the worst trip ever but there's always you know the next day one of the friend one of our friends looked after the kids my husband and i went for a run you know you still yeah. you find those moments again and you yeah. find yourself and you find that you still like your husband and yeah. those it got you know it goes in waves and it, it can be really hard but there's so many memorable and special things about about traveling with with your kids and for me it, it's just been part of what we've done because my family's on the other side of the world mm-hmm. and because I'm passionate about traveling we you we do. do it and we don't love every minute of it but we always but you the thing and you know you don't love every minute of your day at I know home I either. know people could be put off I've got friends that go to Asia religiously with their kids and I 
sort of thinking, wow, the flight with two young kids, they're so brave. But then you see their photos and you see all the great things they do and you think it was worth that flight for them, you know. I had, you know, I think it's it's good to remember that even when you're travelling by yourself, not every minute of that is going to be great. It's that whole Instagram thing where you, you, you just see... The amazing bits of it. Like, there's a, there's bits of everyday life with and without kids that is just rubbish. Yeah, that's very true. And those feelings that we get. I remember when I was traveling and I was living in New Zealand, and I, I talk about this, but I just felt so lonely in periods, felt misunderstood, lack of connection, was probably not sleeping enough. So, you know, I wasn't in a great place. I, I was loving life in ways, but then sometimes I would feel really yeah alone but I'm looking at this stunning scenery and I'm thinking I shouldn't be feeling anxious to hear when I was when I was in Umbria like that week that I booked to come to Scotland I was safe I was in a beautiful landscape I was not with nice people I just really struggled I was like up a ladder picking figs really depressed yeah really lost Mm -hmm. really and I was like this is not like I shouldn't be getting stressed yeah. At this point, if I was going to be stressed on my trip, I should have been like stressed when I was in a protest march in Israel. I shouldn't be stressed, but you know, for whatever reason, I was tired. Mm-hmm. I was didn't have the right connection with the people, and it just you know it happens, and it doesn't happen when you think it should. Yeah, it doesn't happen just because the skies are grey. That doesn't. Yeah, you can have a mate. I mean, I connected with someone in Wellington, and it was the rainiest day. But it was one of my favourite moments of the year away. You know, you have these days that stand out. Some are really sunny, yeah. But And a lot of that is about, you know, well, obviously if you're doing something you're really passionate about, so you see flamingos or something. Like, I have a memory of doing the wine uh, tasting, and I love wine. So that was an incredible day with the campers at the van. We parked it, and we were going to walk around all the vineyards and then sleep in the... Mm-hmm. And then the next day, when we could drive, go and purchase our favourite bottles... Yeah. For the road but like there's these memories but a lot of it's about you know passion or like connections like meeting great people that you can chat to and have a meaningful time with and i think there's would you say looking back over your time traveling when your mental health hasn't been sort of shining as brightly could you put that down to a few factors such as you were saying lack of sleep lack of connection probably i mean in some ways i don't think i'll ever know why that bit of that trip didn't didn't wasn't as magic as some of the other ones i think fatigue is probably part of it mm-hmm. but you know i mean maybe there were other things going on with the family that i was staying at that i wasn't aware of so maybe they're you know, like the energy bouncing off each other wasn't mm-hmm. they were always lovely to me but there was the one of the connection problems i had was that the people that i was staying with did speak english and there were quite a few different people there, but a lot of the time, like around the dinner table, for whatever reason, they didn't speak a language that I could speak. Mm-hmm. And so again, that connection thing mm. wasn't there. People didn't make the effort to include. There was a little boy who would chat to me, like a little five-year-old that would. He was the only one some nights that would talk to me, and that was hard. Like mm. that was that was confronting for me, and I think I, I hadn't experienced that while I was traveling because it was one of the first times that I wasn't staying with other backpackers mm-hmm. okay. so that that shift I was used to staying with other backpackers I was used to how that when you understood how that worked understood and people I'm very lucky that I speak English 
Yeah. I'm incredibly lucky because I don't speak another language. So many other people are so much more talented and clever. They can speak multiple languages and I don't. So and I, at, that was the, one of the first times that I was really confronted by that mm. and having been in all sorts of amazing places, but people could speak to me and for whatever reason, people weren't speaking to me. So I think that yeah. that connection thing didn't happen yeah. There. So important, isn't that connection? And also, you know, when you put yourself out there with travel, you have to have an element of faith over fear because it can be a scary thing to do. Um, how did you kind of keep a positive attitude throughout? I, I think a lot of it just is me generally. I don't, you know, I have, you have moments in your life where there's lots of no's mm-hmm. and I've realized this more and more about myself now, like those moments where it, when I can't make a decision where everything is really negative, I'm just like, you're obviously just fatigued. You are too tired. Mm-hmm. Like that's not, that's not your brain. That's not the right bit of your brain that's talking there. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember kind of like I've, I, I was, I felt safe mm-hmm. when I traveled. I always was aware of the cultural sort of requirements for you know i always wore long covered up clothing and all of those sorts of things i think i just was i loved it i was happy i enjoyed meeting i had to put myself out there to meet people i'm not naturally a massively social person but if i didn't then i would have drowned yeah if i didn't make put myself out there all the time then so that kind of, I had to had to do that. Taking risks. I still. <laughs> this is how long ago it was, and how anti technology was. I travelled with my computer, and I had like a a portable CD drive, and I had like one of the things that I decided that I was going to take is like some of my DVDs. So I had like my Sex in the City DVD, a couple of my Sex in the City DVDs. I can't remember what else. And so you know, some nights when I was just, I can't do like hanging out with people I would like sit in my room if I had a room by myself which is rare and like I remember doing that one night in Turkey and just like watching my Sex in the City DVDs because oh, I was I just that. like I just I can't always yeah. be out there I'm not mm-hmm. I don't think anyone can but I'm very aware that I can't mm-hmm. so I had that little like enclave where I could just be by myself nice. and watch my DVDs or read a book or yeah. I had to be very, I'm, I'm a very book person. I had to be very restrained. Every time I got a new book, I would have to get rid of another one because yeah. otherwise <laughs> just my bag would have been too full. Oh, I know. I'm the same. I hoard books. I love books. So that was, a, that was hard for me traveling. I was like, yeah. you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to accumulate books. You have to give them away I would write them down and then give them away (laughs) (laughs) I love it I I do feel like traveling really changes you though so it's amazing that you've written this book to still encourage people to get out there because it can be a lonely time parenthood it can be and I think even just getting to read the book even if you're not traveling you can you can get insights that are not even about travel insights into other people's life journey some of the stories are about struggles with fertility there's struggles with you know the partnership breaking down between couples but there's you know there's there's the trouble sort of happening as well so it's not you I, i come up against you know when you're trying to talk to people about the book because it's about babies and travel, you get a lot of switch off <laughs> yeah. you know like there's people aren't don't think that they're interested in that and i'm like 
for me, they're about people. Her stories are, they're human stories. They're incredibly intimate, intense moments in people's lives Mm -hmm. that happens to be, these things happen, you know, having a baby is an incredibly intense period in your life and people are sharing some of those journeys and some of them are funny and some of them are sad, but that's what it's about for me. But, you know, people don't always necessarily want, don't think that they would maybe be interested, but. I hope so reading is such an insight into other lives and we can learn so much, especially if we read with an open mind. And um, I found with my book, because it was so, with my first one, the second one will be the same, but so honest and open and, and pretty much shared so much. Mm. And then you you have to really do the work on yourself so that you don't take criticism. You know, if someone says, oh, I hated that or whatever um or just indifference yeah. as well you have to kind of get a thicker skin about yeah. people just not being interested yeah yeah and, and friends and family because that's a huge thing you know i say to friends have you read the book i've not a time i've not a time and i'm thinking if my friend wrote a book i would be reading the whole thing but then it's just realizing well maybe they don't like reading or you know they've got other things going on too so it's learning not to take anything personally yeah. you know and just because you would do things a certain way doesn't mean other people would that's you know? right i got an amazing message yesterday from one of the women in the book and it was sort of on twitter but saying that for her you know how many i think it opened doors within her own mind for herself because maybe she'd had like rejections for her writing mm-hmm. in the past and she then has gone on now and she runs writing workshops herself and things. And it was, it was, it was great to get that message yesterday before I was yeah. coming to talk to you because, you know, you do have that like, oh, what, who, who am I? What am I going to talk about? Yeah. I'm not, I'm just a mom, blah, blah, blah. And then to get this message from this writer to say that being part of, that, that I had supported her and supported other people to share their stories and that mm. she felt that I was somebody who, you know, really encouraged other people to to to, to, to follow their passions. And that was, that was, that was good. <laughs> it's amazing because that imposter syndrome is just horrible and we all have it. And I, I, I do a lot of work to try and distance myself from those voices. But there's times that, as you say, you don't really know why, but it can just come and crowd you and it could just be that you're exhausted or... Yeah. It could just be, you know, hormones or whatever. Um, but I, I've started seeing it as just this little monster on the shoulder that I can kind of have a laugh with and go, oh, whatever, I'm going to keep going on anyway. And we are all, every single person I've interviewed on, on this podcast, you know, we're all leaders. We've all got something to say. We're all valuable. We're all equal, you know. Um, so it's telling the imposter syndrome that. And you will have helped more people than you know as well because... Not everyone would write write to you. So the fact that someone has actually yeah. taken the time to say that, when most people, we just sort of accept the positive and don't, you know, we're, we're wired to complain, we're wired to... So when someone actually takes the time. And I think there's a lot of writers out there that can really feel knocked. And you and I all know how hard it is in the publishing world. You know, you could be writing great material, but for example, traditional publishers who can help you loads get about 500 manuscripts a day. Um, and it can be easy to say, oh, I'm rubbish, or, you know, the imposter syndrome pipe up. But actually, if you want to write, a writer has to write. You have to keep writing. Yeah. And, you know, it's great that you're in, you know, the Edinburgh Bookshop, which is such a an amazing, it's got such a great reputation. So I have writers say to me, oh, but I can't be bothered doing all the, you know, the plugging of the book and stuff. And that is really hard, it's, isn't it? It's a lot of work. And I didn't, I was so ignorant. Like, it took... 
when I was finishing the book, I had a little baby. I say my second baby was born. I was like, I was a bit bonkers. I was trying to do too much as you do. I was, I think I was, I was working part time. I had a husband who was away for weeks at a time. We were running Airbnb out of our house and I had two infant children and I was working, working on the book. I was just mental. And that took me quite a while to recover from how like how how too much I was doing. But I so I finished the book, and then I was like, oh okay. I had no idea how to tell people that the book existed. Like my husband had kind of built a website for me, which was lovely, but we had no idea how. So I had to then begin all over again with learning about social media, learning about marketing, and I'm still learning, but. I just, at that point, I didn't know how much I didn't know. Yeah. Now I know how much I don't know. Wow. <laughs> and it's such a long journey. And there's moments when you feel like, oh, I've just created something that's really rubbish. That's why nobody's interested. And there's other moments where people pick it up and somebody tweets me and say, I bought this on Amazon and I'm sitting here with my baby while I breastfeed and read it. And oh, I think, oh, I've got out. You know, there's, it's connected with somebody. And it's amazing. It's, it's an ongoing, but it's part of my it's part of my writing journey as you say like you're still writing you're still putting things out there it's part of that building block it's made it's created so many different connections that I would even struggle to sort of map out yeah one of my best friends now is a woman who has a story in the book and I had met my husband and I met her because we went to a writing this was one of our dates (laughs) My husband and I went to a writing, a travel writing workshop that was run at Edinburgh University, I think. And we met this woman and her name is Anne Hamilton. And she ran the workshop, which was lovely. We never had anything to do with her. And then when I was, had this idea for this book, I was like, I remember that woman talking about traveling with her son. Mm-hmm. And I emailed her, like I must have had the details of she has a website and things. I emailed her and I was like, oh, would you? And it turned out that she lived just down the road from us. No way. She lived. So we, our first, the first time we ever met was that like we went to Gorgi Farm, which is topical oh, <laughs> for yes, this week. It's sad. We went to Gorgi Farm. Her son is a couple of years older than, than Rafa. And we've, ever since we first met, you know, it's always been conversation about writing, conversation about the kids. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, yeah. we're always having these catch ups. It's always overlapping. And, West, we we live even closer to her now. She's coming for dinner tonight, Aww. and she's a she's a she's a writer. She's also an amazing editor, and she's worked with me as a mentor in the past as Aww. well. So we're friends, but also professional. Her she does professional development stuff with me. She came. I went to Fort William in February and did the first ever paid presentation at a bookshop for way making um and I was so nervous and she because she teaches creative writing things she was like fine we worked it out we mapped out what we were going to do she was like don't worry if you get lost I'll ask you a question Mm -hmm. I felt you know safe in her hands and she's yeah but that's one of the the things that's come out of the book that you yeah. couldn't pay enough to get yeah like a friend who's also knows your industry uh-huh. who encourages you and you encourage her and the kids get along and I love you that. know like I love that. any amount of disappointments over that i'm not i'm not worldwide famous or anything yeah. that doesn't matter yeah. that's it's a journey it's you learn so much in the process and you know, real joy comes from 
within us, not all the things we can get externally. So external things can make you happy and money can buy happiness to an extent, but it can't buy joy. No. Um, and this is what I explore in detail in my next book about that, you know, that inner space. And uh, there's always so many challenges with us and it's like, you know, the ego, the imposter syndrome and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is you're doing something that you love and you're staying in line with your personal values. Um, and, and that reflects in your work. So if you can keep on that path and you're surrounded by great people mm. and you're enjoying it, then how amazing is that? Yeah, I feel very lucky that I can try and, and there's some weeks where I don't manage any writing, but then you get back to it. and mm. I've, It is hard and you you want to see more. It's really hard to mark progress as a writer. It's yeah. really hard to be until you sort of look back and you go, oh, yeah, there's, there's things happening, but it's slow. It's and really it's, slow. But the thing is about writing, like when I look back, I've been writing all my life. Like I've got so many notes. Hubs took them up to the attic and I'm like, I need them back. <laughs> the there. notebooks, the, they're scattered around. Yeah, and a lot of them traveling. Fabulous uh, stuff in there that I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. And then, But either way, even if you don't want to share your writing with the world as well, for people listening that don't have this burning desire to be an author, writing is a healing process. So for a mental health, it's wonderful to write and just to, to get all that clutter out and just to put it down on paper. And if you're terrified someone's going to read it, then burn it. Have a little ceremony. <laughs> um, go for it. But that process of just... And, and the buzzword, I guess, at the moment, you know, doing your gratitude journaling in the morning or at night, if that's... Science shows us that that helps. Um, but yeah, it's just it's incredible. And sometimes I think when you're doing, if you're writing fiction, you don't always realise what you're writing about until further into it. Like yeah. it can can take a while for for that to come to the surface. Oh, that's that thing that I've been thinking about, and it's not always it's not always obvious, but it can. And it's it's one of the confronting things that I've been making myself do this year is do public speaking because I don't mm. think I'm good at it. I've made myself do it. But it's so different from writing because writing, you're editing, you're going back over it. Yeah. It's just, it is safer yeah. in some ways because you don't have to show it to anyone till it's ready. Whereas speaking, <laughs> it's like speaking. it's out there. And I'm, I admire you doing, you know, you do public speaking events and things. And I love public speaking. It's so good for you, but it is the scariest thing in the world. So you need I've to- done this year. This not counting coming and chatting with you, so I've done three proper public things which haven't just been readings but have been around the books that I've had work in, and that's I've had to do it. One of the things that has helped me is having been doing more running this year, so I've the, the three events that I've done this year, I've always made sure I had a decent run beforehand just to kind of distract myself from that nervous and you kind of builds up your energy and mm. then you can go in and mm. hopefully say something <laughs> intelligent well it's just it's just seen style it's bringing yourself it's bringing your own like spark and and your passion and, and when it. you get feedback afterwards that's that's great like if somebody comes up and is like tells you a bit of their story or connects with something that you've spoken about that's that's great that's all you can ask for i suppose is to have and everyone will listen so differently as well. And some people will, yeah, will want to pick up on something negative, but other people will take away something really inspiring. Or And because, 
again, because of the travel sort of component of it, I think it's easy to get inspired. Mm. And you forget sometimes that you're also talking about personal journey. Mm -hmm. It's not just... It's easier probably for me to talk about travel things and journeys than maybe to talk about more private journeys. But the private journeys are happening all the time. Yeah. Alongside it. They exist together. Yeah, they don't go away, do they? No. Underneath the surface, we're going through all kinds of things. Yeah. And that bit of that story that's in Waymaking where I'm struggling... Mm because I've gotten in way over my head. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, if you read, when I read that bit, it's such a personal thing. And mm-hmm. I think so many people have that, have had moments in their lives where they're struggling and they've had nothing but themselves mm-hmm. to pull on. Yeah. And that kind of, and surviving that, mm-hmm. that connects with so many people. Yeah. And that's really, that's important because sometimes what would you say to someone that feels just helpless and the, you know, like you felt that moment swimming around the island? Look, I mean, I guess how many to think about what, maybe what they've been through before and survived Mm -hmm. to think about how many tools and how many blessings there are within themselves. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't always feel that I was a person who could give advice or who, but I could try and listen. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm, I think it is confronting if somebody's coming to you with, you know, with really big, Mm. big life stuff that, you know, hopefully to be their friend and hopefully to listen. And I think that's what a lot of people like, you know, I, I get messages, I have one at the start of the week, I just really need to, your positive energy, I'm having a really tough week, I've been following your blog for yeah. a few years, can we have a quick chat? Yeah. But I, to reach out like that is so brave. It's so brave. And, you know, I gave him a call and it just sounded so low, mm. but it was lovely to be able to, at the end of the call, hear them say, well, I realise my value now. Yeah. You know, and, and that's there's power in that because... Our minds can pull us away from our value, but also other people can do that too by the way they treat you. And if you're really being treated with a lack of respect, um, and no one's perfect, we can all screw up, we can take people for granted, especially those closest to us. But, you know, if it's a big thing and you think, actually, this is big enough that I, I can't stay or something, or I, yeah. need, I need to... Something, come. an action needs to, yeah. needs to happen. And I think that always comes back to reminding yourself that you are valuable, so valuable. Yeah. I mean, I was watching Queer Eye last night, like, I think that's such a fantastic one for people finding their value yeah. and peop- those guys lifting lifting people up. And I think you can't help but watch that and think about your own values and your own struggles and but they're so positive and they find, yeah. you know, those, the, and, you know, things that you write about and things that you talk about. And I think if people can find positive stories mm-hmm. and stories of struggle that where positivity comes out of it, I think that can really help. And being a storyteller is if you can, if somebody can read your story and even if they read it and have a cry and then feel better about themselves, that's, yeah. if you let, so yeah, finding stories is, is probably one of the ways that I would hope people would find ways out of yeah where I, they're at. I think that's that's powerful, and there's so much we can do. What do you do for your mojo? <laughs> well, I guess it's 
exercise mm-hmm. mostly. I've mm-hmm. I've been a bit of an exercise junkie this year. I um, <laughs> I started. I started with my running club at the start of the year. We joined – part of the reason that I joined my gym a few years ago is because it has a crash. Mm-hmm. And so when we have no family locally, we never had childcare. Yeah. And so we joined we joined our gym and we used the crash. And when I, for the first few years of me being the crash, I would – the boys being at the crash, I would, like, maybe do some exercise for 20 minutes and then, like, try and work on the book. Mm-hmm. I would, like – I would have a shower. I wouldn't even brush my hair. I wouldn't even yeah. – I would just be like, no, no, I've got – uh-huh. So much work to do. And so I would just do that and like eat curly fries. That was mostly what I liked about my gym. And I slowly switched my habits around a little bit. So I started using my fitness pal at the start of the year. And one of the things I loved about, one of the things I realized quite quickly about like tracking what I was eating, because I was like, I was really struggling with my periods. I was like, my emotions were just, off the chart as i'm sure you would have experienced at times Absolutely. i was like what can i do to change this mm-hmm. do i just stay in bed and eat for three days uh-huh. that didn't really help yeah. do i do more exercise and that kind of started helping when i started tracking my food i was like wait a minute if i exercise more i can eat more yeah. so i started from the start of so at the start of this year i i weighed about 80 kilos mm-hmm. I weigh 66 now. I worked out probably six days a week and just didn't eat less at all, but I ate better. I made better decisions because I need to fuel myself. If Mm -hmm. I'm working working out like this, I need to fuel myself. And I haven't, I dropped off some of the exercise around the summer, but I've maintained. That's my, like, I'm really happy now. Like, I've maintained that really stable. And you still have like, carbs and oh yeah, and I stuff. eat absolutely everything. But I try and make better decisions. And you know, on those days we've got my running club in the evening. I was like, I need to have a di- I need to have a good lunch. Uh-huh. I need to yeah. So I haven't. I try not to eat quite as many potato chips and corn chips. I like they're my yeah. You need to have your. I love them, but I try to do a bit less. Yeah, of that it doesn't always. And sometimes I'm just like, well, let's, I'm going to enjoy that. Yeah, it's just not being hard on yourself. No. But having that routine is great. And when you're enjoying exercise, that's the key. And how much I enjoy exercise. So I remember yeah. we weren't, we were, I think we'd gone to Australia, must have, and I remember coming, we'd been away from the gym, and I remember walking past the gym door, like into the exercise bit to take the boys swimming. And I, we hadn't been in the gym for ages, and I just had that buzz. I was like, I miss being in there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'd never, you know, like, I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's who I am. Yeah. I love lifting weights. I love doing strength classes. I love doing cardio classes. I've just started doing a ballet one. Oh. And I had a really big moment probably just a month ago. I was like, oh, I'm going to do this ballet class because I need to do a bit, something a bit more gentle, sort mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. Um, I signed up for that. And I was in it and I was like, I was always that person that was moving the wrong way, feeling uncoordinated. I remember doing a Zumba one and just the whole time I was just like, I was just in this head of this depressed 15-year-old girl who's uncoordinated, who's going. And I was doing this ballet class and she was getting us to dance. And I was just like, oh my goodness, I'm just moving my body Mm -hmm. in this space and I feel great. And I'm not 
getting it right, <laughs> but I don't care. Yeah. That was massive. Yeah. Like to have come to that point where I'm just like, I'm just enjoying moving my body. Yeah, just loving it. It was huge for me. And I've let so, for in that moment, I let so many negative, I'm not saying they're never going to come back, but I let so, let so many negative thoughts about myself go. I was just like, I'm allowed to just be yeah. here. Yes, and girl. Yes. So, so much. So I'm really enjoying my exercise. I'm really enjoying when I can get outside and go running, but also just being in the camaraderie that I have with people at the gym. And like, cause I don't go to the pub. Yeah. I have the gym is like my community. That's my community. One of my best friends from the gym moved to Canada more than 12 months ago now. And I still miss her. Like it's still, we all miss her, but it's like you go and you're like, Oh, she's not there anymore. Oh, but, but keep it up. It's yeah, great. Very so inspiring. Very that's probably inspiring. my, amazing what you can do in a year when you stay focused yeah and you know i do you know on every now and again you read sort of things where people are trying to lose weight or they're trying to do it really quickly and Mm. i've always said like this i've done this really slowly it's taken a long time and i've enjoyed doing it and i do get people who i haven't seen for a little while especially around the gym because mm. you're allowed to talk about how somebody looks at the gym that's kind of <laughs> you know you're not always sure if you can in other scenarios but people who are like oh and they can see how hard you're working and yeah. they can see the difference that it's making yeah and that's that balance and it? i try as well and not to be about how you look but to talk to talk about the fact that i'm i'm going for a run especially with other women yeah. because i think not to say, oh, it's because of her physique or her physique, but you get so much out of it. And I think women and mums need something more for themselves. And yeah. I think taking time to do a bit of exercise for yourself, it benefits so much of your life. Yeah. And so I try and talk about the fact that I'm doing it and talk about one of the mums the other day, I was like talking about going running and she was like oh i just always get tempted by the pizza and i'm like yeah but you can eat more pizza absolutely <laughs> if you love food you don't have to starve yourself no. you need to heal. You, you if you don't eat right it falls down really really quickly okay it, it's funny because yesterday i had uh, over an hour trail run and i did fall in a puddle but it was great for the mojo and then at night i went out and i was singing with friends and so my friend colin was playing the electric guitar and the acoustic and the other dude, Martin, was playing the bass and I was singing. And this morning I woke up buzzing because I've had two massive mm. audio injections of music and exercise. And it's it's been able to use the, these amazing gifts that we have, you know. So I always ask people um, at the end their favourite song. Or, uh, you know, I, I think it's the hardest question for a lot of people because they say they can't choose one. So it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be yeah. a favourite. But one that probably makes you feel good or has nice memories. One that has amazing memories for me and is probably familiar to other people would be Paul Simon's Graceland. Because oh, I, when I was little, like, you know, my parents just had tapes. They didn't have... <laughs> You didn't have all these other fangled things, but we had two two of the tapes that I've still got. And we remember one was Graceland and one was an Australian singer called Paul Kelly, which who he's he's he's, he's like the king of Australia, basically. So you should, <laughs> if you haven't heard of him, look him up. But yeah, Paul Simon's Graceland is such a positive song. When I was I was lucky enough to go to Graceland um, quite a few years ago and it, that was the song that I listened to before it wasn't like an Elvis song that I listened to before going oh. to 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 Graceland it was like Paul Simon's Graceland because I think it's 
such a yeah it's got great energy amazing amazing well let's put that on and um thank you so much that's that's my pleasure it's been really great thank you